We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. Pardon me for not speaking so loudly right now. I am recording from my best friend's house down in Florida. I'm visiting him. He had a baby, now his second baby. So there are two babies sleeping in a couple rooms down. So I have to be a little tame, even though the last thing I want to do is be tame right now after that ridiculously thrilling Giants victory today. I mean, I said it after on Twitter, Nick. I can't remember the last time I felt like that watching a Giants game. Sure, you can point to the Ravens win. Sure, you can point to the victory before that against the Packers as fun, big-time wins. But this is a different feeling. This is a feeling of, okay, we're 5-1. and one, We can win any game. We're in this insanely close game. And then craziness ensues in the fourth quarter. Like, first, the Giants have another fourth-quarter comeback uh, touchdown drive. Then this insanely long drive to stop them at the end by the Giants. That felt like it was lasting 13 minutes of just pure intense pain and just nervous, nervous energy cruising and sifting through my body to the point where there's just like, oh, they converted a, a third, a fourth, 15. My God. Oh, 15 yard penalty to boot. Now they convert a pass all the way. Felt like I got reminders of years ago, Wisconsin, when they had Russell Wilson for the one year, they played Michigan State in a game that meant everything. And Michigan State threw a pass that went all the way to the one, and they actually got the ball across the red zone and across the line for a touchdown. The Giants today rallied with Fabian Moreau and Xavier McKinney and others to prevent that ball from crossing the end zone plane. And once again, the Giants come out victorious in a game where they were underdogs. They're now 5-0 and as Vegas underdogs on the season. They're now 6-1 and on the season. And in addition to that, Brian Dable became the first Giants head coach to start his career 6-1, and Nick, since 1929. I mean, 1929. People weren't born in it. We're talking about Great Depression years right now. That's almost 100 years have passed almost since the Giants had a head coach who started his career 6-1, and and they've had Hall of Fame coaches in that span. Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin, two Hall of Fame coaches. And despite that, Brian Dable's done something that they never could do, and he did it with a completely bloated roster from a salary cap standpoint. The Giants have almost $50 million in dead cap that's not being used, and that doesn't even count the $72 million Kenny Galladay who's not playing on this roster. 
and all the injuries to the what's left of what the cap space that they actually can use on the players for this season. So obviously that goes without saying you can't overstate the job that Brian Dable is doing to get them to six and one. And it's not just Dable when we say Dable, it's the entire staff. But man, it was a different feeling today for me watching this game. It brought back old feelings of a fan. Oh, looks like the light just turned off in this room. So I'll try to check on what just happened there. It might have just went out. This is not my room. So now I'm recording in the dark here. This, this is, is hilarious. Oh, please. If you guys are listening on the audio platform, check out the it's YouTube. Like, right it's now. unbelievably unexpected and weird. So I'll turn it over to you, Nick. And I'm going to go in the back here and try to figure out what's going on in this room I've never recorded from. This victory, Dan. First off, this is hilarious right now. But this victory had shades of Kevin Dyson and was it Mike Jones from the Tennessee Rams Super Bowl dating back to the late 90s. That's what it really looked like. I mean, down to the one-yard line, and Fabian Moreau was able to make that tackle. Dan, did you get it all figured out, bud? Guess for now. Guess for now. Let's see if that light holds up for Dan. But that's where my initial thought went, because Christian Kirk caught it, and I was like, he's not in. And I just saw him trying to drive his legs. And I saw offensive linemen flying into Christian Kirk and it was Fabian Moreau. It was Landon Collins. It was Xavier McKinney. They all just rallied around this guy and held him out. And I was like, I cannot believe that Jacksonville almost mounted a 10 play drive in a minute and seven seconds with no freaking timeouts to win that football game. It was a sloppy, ugly win. The officiating was absolutely horrendous on that last drive. Then they were horrendous the whole game. I thought the Darius Slayton DPI that benefited the New York Giants was pretty damn ticky tacky. I thought both of the roughing the passer calls against the Giants were a joke. I mean, the Leonard Williams one, I mean, what is he supposed to do? And then Dexter Lawrence just tugs on Lawrence's collar and they call that. I thought that was just so stupid. And then there, there was the Dane Belton hands in the face. I'm not even sure what the heck they thought they saw there. It was like a second of Dane Belton just having his hand in the air. But regardless, Giants ended up getting the victory. So I'm ecstatic about that. And it was ugly. It was gross. It's been like a lot of other victories that the New York Giants had. They have a lot of holes on the defensive side that I can't wait to get to the All-22 to see what the heck is actually going on. If, it, if I had a guess, Dan, if we want to get into this now, I think I have a guess. You can ask me that in a little bit. But the offense played pretty damn good. And Daniel Jones continues to impress. And Mike Kafka continues to lean on the rushing attack. Daniel Jones is being judicious with his decision-making, using his legs to pick up yardage. I love what I'm seeing from the offensive standpoint, even though they're not airing the football out in a traditional, prolific offensive manner. But they're still getting the job. The defense has some issues, though. Yeah, but I guess I would ask you right now. Well, first, let me say this. You know a, you know a penalty is bad when the announcers can't even figure out who the penalty is on. They try to run the replay. The replay shows no penalty. And they're like, oh, I guess it was on. I guess the uh, the referees announced the wrong jersey number of who committed the penalty because we can't see it at all on the replay. And that's when you know a penalty is bad. And so I don't know what that defensive penalty on Dane Belden or whoever that was supposed to be on was. Maybe we'd see something if we watched the All-22, but we probably won't because for some reason the All-22 me and Nick get doesn't show penalty plays. So we never get to see those. But maybe if one of you out there has that film, you can let us know. But that took away game ceiling interceptions. That was a big one there. So, yeah, there were some bad calls both ways. But I'd say let's get into it now. What would be your guesstimation for you know what happened to the Giants today on defense? Because like you said, this was not a perfect game by any means. The Giants racked up a lot of yards. I believe it was like 460-something. They also gave up about 460. And if it wasn't for a really heady play by Xavier McKinney, though, to be honest, I think mostly it was on Travis Etienne for not properly holding the football. He was kind of like tiki pre-Tom Coughlin holding the ball there. Horrific, <laughs> just horrific technique. And that's a fumble through the end zone. I mean, that was seven points swing right there for the Jaguars. And then obviously the third and one, fourth and one stop, which 
you know, you, you talk about analytics, it gets to the point at some point where you're like, maybe the Jaguars should just be kicking that field goal there. But it says how been the story of the Giants all year as far as just like these big things going their way to help them win football games. Um, and so what would be what you were alluding to before as to why you think the defense struggled so much to defend this Jaguars offense? I think on a lot of the plays that I saw from the broadcast, we'll confirm this on the All-22, so please tune into that. We'll be having it up on YouTube and going over it extensively. It looked like Tay Crowder was just not scraping over the top and getting in position. There was one play where I felt like Jihad Ward, it was one of the first long runs of the game by Travis Etienne. Jihad Ward did a really good job stepping down on a pin-pull concept and just forcing everything to bounce outside, just basically using the wrong arm technique to present himself right in the hole and say, okay, you're not going to go here, create a complete traffic jam. And then Tay Crowder, who is that play side linebacker, supposed to scrape over the top of him and get in position. But Tay Crowder was caught right at the line of scrimmage, kind of peeking around, looking to see where Travis Etienne was. But it was a pin-pull concept. You got to follow the blockers. You got to see where that's going. And I don't feel like he picked up on that. And then I think on the touchdown run, it was also on on uh, Tay Crowder and the two-point conversion. And again, not fully sure. It's not like I can sit there and rewind and stuff from the film that we get even on the broadcast here. I have to watch the all 22, but that would be my guess. And it seems to be something that is pretty consistent with Tay Crowder throughout his entire time here in New York. Yeah. And it's interesting. We're not probably going to harp too much on, on the negatives for after a game like today, that's probably more for the film review and we can kind of dive more into it. But as we just think about it in our heads and we think about, okay, this is a team that's obviously ascending right now. The Giants six and one. They've turned this thing around a lot faster than anyone expected. Doesn't mean they're without holes. And so as we kind of try to consider like how to fix this roster, not fix, how to improve this roster going forward. It's not we're past the point of fix. This roster no longer needs to be fixed. They're winning six of the set first seven games they played. It just needs and one of them, you know, you can take away the Packers win if you want, because the Packers do look pretty terrible now this year. But you can't take away that Ravens win no matter how you want to splice that game up because the Ravens are a good football team. And they won again today, and now they're four and three, I know, but they're still a good team. But regardless, they've won six of seven games. You just can play the people in front of you. But I want to talk about how this roster can improve. It is interesting that we talk about receiver, right? We talk about corner, and we talk about offensive guard, let's say, or offensive center, let's say. But when I hear us talk... And we don't know think about it theoretically. We just talk about the actual evaluation of this, Nick, and we analyze it. We bring up the inside linebacker play a lot more than any of these other positions, to be completely honest with you. A lot of the big plays the Giants are giving up are because these inside linebackers. And really, to me, it's mostly Tate Crowder. They're making or not not doing their job well. And I don't know why the expectation is that Tate Crowder would do his job all that well. Because he never really has. And so it's interesting. It's something we'll look at. Um, it's something the Giants are going to have to try and fix. But ultimately, it might not be something they fix this year. This might just be a way the Giants are going to be giving up yards all year. Uh, because it ju- they may just simply not have the, the, the right guy in place there. Um, so it's something to consider as we move forward. Even something to consider if you think the Giants should be, you listening to the podcast, I mean, think the Giants should be like buyers at the, at the trade deadline and try to maybe give up a trap pick to, to go for it all this year type of thing. Which Nick and I are not really on board with personally. We believe that they should, they will and should keep these draft picks because, again, there's been injuries this year, but these draft picks are hitting, man. Like, they're getting contributions from every single round of this draft as far as when they're healthy, they're contributing to this team. And that shows that Joe Shane and crew know exactly the type of guys to bring in to fit this system and to fit this culture. So I don't really want to take away a rookie contract that can come in and help at four years and one million against the cap each year, whatever it is, 1.2 million, roughly, depending on the round they're taking. So that's why I don't really love the idea of trading. But if you do, you might want to consider potentially if they can get an inside backer to help out there. But we'll talk about uh, on the All-22 more of the defense. But I do want to bring up just overall the game and how it went down and how the Giants were able to win because I think a big factor in this game 
Nick, was that the Giants were able to rush the football successfully in this game, specifically in the second half of this game, where the Giants re- where it really felt like, as a fan watching the game, and just anyone could pick this up, I think, no matter what your level of football knowledge would be, that by the end of the game, the Giants, their offensive line and their run attack overall was just wearing down the Jaguars front. And by that point, and Saquon Barkley had a great quote after the game about how it's kind of like, you know, you get them to fe- have that feeling of drowning. You keep that. I'm going to get the exact quote that Saquon Barkley had about it because it was a, it was a really telling quote, I thought, about how the Giants run offense applied itself at the end of the game. They said, he, Barkley said, you can't stop it. And why not? I can tell you that when you lean on a defense, you can feel it actually. And this is him saying as a player who's played the game, you can feel it soften up. And take them down. De- and he says, You take them to the deep water and you drown them. And it did really feel like the Jaguars defense was quote unquote softening up. And the Giants offense was taking it to them, specifically on that last drive where they milked the clock all the way down before the field goal. And obviously Saquon Barkley made the mistake going out of bounds, but whatever. That's not here. That's not here or there. And overall, after the game, when you look at the final stats, Nick, the Giants rushed for 236 yards, 107 for Daniel Jones. 110 for Saquon Barkley. It's the first time Giants teammates had 100-plus rushing yards since 2010, and that was two running backs. And this is all against a Jaguars defense that may not be the best defense in the NFL, Nick, but it came into the game averaging just allowing 89.3 rushing yards per game. That was the third-best run defense in the NFL, the Jaguars. And the Giants took them for 236 yards and yards when it mattered most at the end of the game. And they had Fatu Kasi back, you know, Fatu Kasi, one of the best run defenders in the league, as we bring up, he wasn't there the previous two weeks, but the Giants just wear you down and they don't stray away from their identity in the second half. And I think that's something that I'm really happy about because their identity is to rush the football, but it's also difficult to defend. I think the Giants actually ran the football the same play three times against Jacksonville three consecutive yep. times and they couldn't stop Saquon Barkley on those plays. But another reason why they're struggling too is because they're chasing Daniel Jones everywhere too. I felt like what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable were able to dial up in the second half to allow Daniel Jones to run those naked boots, to allow Daniel Jones to drop back and then rush the football whenever he had a lane. I felt like Jones did excellent in those types of situations and it just forced the Jags to stay. Sorry about the dog. It just forced the Jaguars to stay on the football field. It forced them to to chase around Daniel Jones and then chase around Saquon Barkley. And and Dan, why stop running the football when it's working? You can keep going back to that well. And like you said, just softening them up. I think Julian Love made a reference too on the defensive side about drowning people like Natalie Wood or something like that. Did he not? He did make it. it was, they both made that kind of reference. Yeah. So it's clearly the identity of the football team, as you mentioned, they stick with it. And in this game in particular, the Giants didn't really find success in the run game until the second half. In the first half, at least with Saquon Barkley, and really overall, the first half, Saquon Barkley had eight carries for 16 yards. Then if you look at the second half splits, he had 94 yards on 16 carries. That goes from a 2.0 yard per carry average to a 5.9. And so it does kind of add to this idea that they are wearing the team, wearing opposing defenses down in the run game. And that's, again, with a backup right tackle in, who I thought played well, and I'm really excited to see Tyree Phillips on yeah. tape this week because shout out Kevin Appenzel, a friend of the podcast, one of my good friends. He's, he was like all over the signing when they signed Tyree Phillips. He thought that could be a nice sleeper, and he came right in, and I thought, I mean, at least on the broadcast, it looked pretty good from him, and with a backup left guard because Bredesen went out, and we had just said over the last two weeks on film, Bredesen had taken a really nice jump for the Giants. He had been playing really good football at the left guard spot, and so to lose him and Neil in one game, you don't expect to have a second half like that where you're wearing the team down in the run game not only with Barkley, but with Daniel Jones. 
Jones rushed for 107 yards in this game. The last time the Giants had a 100-yard rusher, Nick, was 1946. Two of the stats we already said to open the show are stats that go back to 1929 and 1946. These are almost 100 years. I mean, 170-plus, but it's a long time since this has happened. And this was actually the most single-game rushing yards by a Giants quarterback in, a, in, in their career by Daniel Jones here with 107 on the day. And so it wasn't just Barkley. It was Barkley and Jones who were taking it to him as a ru- uh, in the rushing game. Barkley now, Nick, has 906 scrimmage yards on the season, which leads the NFL. It's almost it's actually you know, just under 100 yards, 99 more than the next uh, rusher or the next total yards player of any position, which is Nick Chubb with 807. Um, so he's clearly playing like one of the best players in the NFL right now. We knew that already. But another player who's playing great football now and has now stacked it for four sh- or three straight games, I would say, is Daniel Jones. And so it's time to give him credit as well. We've been giving him credit. If you listened to our podcast last week, breaking down the offensive film, you should listen back to that because we did a lot of in-depth breakdowns on how Daniel Jones was playing well. We did breakdowns of how he was using his eyes, how he was processing things post-snap, ball placement, his ability to drive the, the football. Too, man. I'm sorry? His, abil- his ability in the pocket, manipulating the, of pocket, the pocket, which is taking major steps forward as an NFL quarterback. And so this is really now three games in a row of him building on it. And I think even in those first, I think he has taken a clear step weeks five through seven, but there are even some, some really good moments in weeks three through four, I would say. Even including, yes, that Dallas game, which some people consider, oh, wow, how could you consider that game? Well, he was pressured more than any other quarterback in any game this season, that game. And I don't really go by just the total stats or the total numbers. I just go by what I see on the film. And I thought he played better in week three than he did in weeks one or two. So if we're seeing somebody who, regardless of how you slice this, is playing better football as the season goes on. And that's something you want to see. Because while we always mention year to year and over a career, progress isn't always linear. Within a new system, you would hope it would be. And that's the case. That's what it has been with Daniel Jones today. So I'm going to let you dive into some thoughts on Jones now, and then I'll kind of build off of that because I have a few other things I want to touch on specifically with Jones. But you can kind of dive into where you thought overall with Jones before I get into kind of those specific things. Jones is doing everything in his power to will this team to victory, and he's doing everything that this coaching staff is he asking him to do? Is he putting up the, the biggest stats in the world? No, but he rushed for over 100 yards. He threw for over 200 yards, and he's making plays on third down. He should have had another touchdown pass to Marcus Johnson that was dropped, and you saw how pissed Daniel Jones was. You never see Daniel Jones kind of lose his cool, and he, he he got a little mad. He screamed, catch the damn ball, and he actually said after the game he regretted doing that because he has a lot of faith in Marcus Johnson. Marcus Johnson had two drops in this game. There was another one. Where Marcus Johnson ran a deep dig. There's Daniel Bellinger. Marcus Johnson was somebody who they could claim midseason, right? Like, you yeah, know, he's got yeah. speed. He has NFL level speed for sure, but this is a reason why you can get a guy like this on the wire. He might still maintain his roster spot. I'm not advocating sure. for him to be gone. This was just a right. bad game by him. He dropped a, a pass that I think was maybe a little bit behind him on that deep dig route, but I like how Daniel Jones kept his eyes downfield there. And we'll break this down on the all 22 podcast because he had Daniel Bellinger open in the flat, but Daniel Jones trusted the pocket, which he's doing much more consistently now over the last two weeks, stepped up into the pocket, kept his eyes downfield and threw the ball to Marcus Johnson in that situation on that dig route, which would have went well beyond the first down marker instead of just checking it down to Daniel Bellinger. And I feel like his decision-making in in that area where it's like, I can throw it deep here. I can throw it intermediate here, or I could check it down is so much improved 
from last year because he is taking the risk when he needs to and when it's like a high percentage that he's going to convert or there will be an ability for a conversion. The ball will hit the receiver. But if it's not there, he's either using his legs or he's taking the check down. So, man, from a decision-making standpoint, which has always been our biggest bugaboo with Daniel Jones, right, Dan? It, it has progressed substantially, I would say. And a lot of it is because of coach. And I love how even, and we'll touch on Daniel Jones in a second, but I even love how the Giants on the opening drive Jags were showing a look like, hey, we're going to stop the run. All right, we're just going to throw the football then. And it was just RPO, throw the football, RPO, RPO, let Daniel Jones beat them. And guess what he did? Goes right down the field. Touchdown. It's the first time this season that the Giants scored a touchdown on their opening drive. And it was on the back of Daniel Jones. It was on the back of what the defense was presenting, good play calling, and the team trusting their quarterback to get the job done. Yeah, you nailed it. That first drive was basically all Daniel Jones. They didn't really run the ball at all on that first drive. Like you said, and this was a great game plan by Mike Kafka again, because the Jaguars did everything in their power to take away Saquon Barkley, as we're going to see teams continue to do, because they, in their minds, are like, well, Saquon Barkley is performing like the best running back in the NFL right now. And we remember Daniel Jones for the old Daniel Jones. Well, now when you do that, this version of Daniel Jones within this system right now is making you pay for having that kind of mentality and that kind of game plan and approach. Because on that first drive, it was mostly all pass attempts and continuation of what we've seen all season, him dot, hit him playing really well off the play action pass game. And the ball that he dropped over the top to Slayton was finally an explosive th throw down the field. I looked at it this week, Nick, his it, it, going into this week through uh, six games, Daniel Jones heat map is a really interesting thing to look at. Uh, have you ever seen his passing? Have you seen these passing heat maps? It's kind of crazy because almost everything except for three throws all season have been between one and 20 yards. So it's, it's kind of a heat map. You've never expected to see. Now this is prior to this game. Because on this first drive, he ripped the ball to Darius Slayton for the touchdown, which was over 20 yards. So it was his fourth of the season. And it was a really well-thrown ball, which we'll see on the film. Slayton bobbled it. It wasn't a clean catch, but he did thankfully come down with this catch. That would have been pissed me off so much if he dropped that pass because that was a really nicely layered ball over the top with good ball placement by Jones. But I think on the Jones point, I want to say a few things because I do think Jones is playing the best football of his career to me by far, at least on film. I know, again, the stats don't necessarily back this whole idea up and you could point to like oh remember the washington game where he threw for like three whatever it was with five tds and i'll just tell you look i don't really care what you think about that because the numbers say that it was a better game because that washington defense had quit on their coach they knew that that coach was getting fired they were not playing good they had injuries on defense and it was a bit fugazi to me compared to this where you have teams that are playing their asses off like the jaguars with a lot more talent on defense, the Ravens playing their asses off, or the, the Packers playing their asses off. The Packers have a ton of talent on defense. And, yeah, it's not five TDs or whatever, but it's still 300 total yards. You know, the rushing yards count. They are not. They count just as much as the passing yards. They're still yards. They're still moving the football. They're still getting your team into scoring position. And so he had 300, over 300 total yards in this game, which is a lot of yards. Um, but for me, the main reasons why Daniel Jones is playing better football all come down to what you see on the film and they come down to the they come down to things that go beyond the box score for example now first you can start with something that is actually in the box score the turnovers we talked about going into this game he had we couldn't remember on off our hand nick and we watched the film back every single week multiple times off our hand we couldn't remember a turnover worthy throw since that dallas game or i'm sorry since before the dallas game since the carolina game because we're not we're, we're personally not counting the david sills interception you want to count it fine we're not counting 
he fell on a route. But since that throw underneath now in this game, he did get a roughing the passer to take away an interception on a really bad interception by Jones. Let's be honest. It was a horrible interception. But if you take that, if even if you count that one, right, and then you take back the Sills one, which we don't really think should count. So now it's kind of even take one back, give one back. Daniel Jones this season has just a is a one point one percent interception per attempt rate this season. That's down from 2.6% in 2019 and 2.2% in 2020 and 1.9% in 2021. So it's even better by a considerable margin than the seasons with Jason Garrett, where the whole objective was to not turn the ball over via the interception. So the clear cut improvement he's made protecting the football and not only being decisive where he wants to go with the football, but maintaining ball placement and while maintaining ball placement and being decisive, making the right decision, making the right read. I think you described it really well a few minutes ago, Nick, when you said he is taking chances, but they're high percentage chances. Instead of taking chances that might lead to a turnover in, a, in on a team that really can't afford turnovers because it's not the MO of this team. The, te- the MO of this team is pretty clear, and that MO involves not turning the football over. But he's not taking those chances, but he's still doing the right things. And going into this game, Nick, just to harp on another thing I think he's done a lot better with, which is ball placement overall. He actually entered this game with the seventh best, or um, this is a weird way to explain this. So the the seventh lowest off-target percentage on his throws, according to Pro Football Focus. However, they chart that. A bit subjective, maybe. I don't know how they chart these things, what they consider on-target, off-target. But the film backs it up. Most of his pass attempts seem to be, from a ball placement standpoint, on-target with where they're expected to go. And you could look at what we looked at, Nick, last week and this week, Well, Trevor Lawrence today, did he miss a few balls in the red zone where the ball placement just looked way off, yards off the receiver, right? Did we talk about last week, Lamar Jackson, the throw to Mark Andrews, the corner route to who I forget who, maybe DuVernay or one of those receivers, whoever it was, where the ball placement was just two, three yards off target. You don't see a lot of those on tape from Daniel Jones. Now, is he taking too many shots on field? I don't know. Whatever. Maybe the the difficulty of throws a little different, but some of those routes, like when Lawrence misses a little red zone uh, you know, whatever it is, wheel route or whatever ever it is to, to, I think it was ETN or whoever he threw it to that time, three yards ahead of the receiver. That's not even really a deep throw or anything like that. And so the off target percentage is way down for Daniel Jones. And that had waned a bit last year. It was good as a rookie. It had waned a bit in 2020 and gotten way worse in 2021. He's brought that way back up. He's making better decisions. He's way more on target. And like you said, he's so, 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 much more comfortable in the pocket and where he wants to be within the pocket. So all those three things have shown noticeable improvement and it's hard to not be excited. Even for us who went into this season, not expecting much from Daniel Jones, to be completely honest, it's hard not to be excited about what we've seen. Now we've said it before and we'll say it again. We want the consistency out of Jones. We don't want just the three game stretch of this kind of play. We want it to be nine of every 10 games, but you're on that pace right now, right? You're on target. You're on track. You got three games in a row like this and it at least feels like in each game, it's getting better and better. Each game is getting better and better. Not only do we have this step in the right direction from Daniel Jones from a passing standpoint because of the coaching, because of his own development, whatever. It's awesome. I think another big reason why we're seeing this progression of Daniel Jones from a confidence standpoint, from a professional standpoint, from a, is he going to be the long-term answer for the New York Giants, or at least the next year answer for the New York Giants is the use of his legs. If we look right now, he already has 36 carries on this season. Last year, he had 39, but what was one of our biggest 
issues with Daniel Jones other than his decision making was his availability, his health, right? So it was like, oh yeah, well, Jason Garrett can't really use him that much because he's gotten injured in 2020. He got injured in 2021. Well, he got injured this season, but it wasn't all that serious. That's all well and good. And I'm knocking on wood while saying this, but right now, the way the Giants are using him, the way the Giants are designing runs for him and the way he is typically avoiding true contact, he's either sliding or he's running out of bounds or <laughs> the Giants scheme up such a, a, a great run at the Jags or the defense just isn't anywhere near him. He's not taking those big hits and the Giants right. are moving the football down the field really efficiently, really well, because the defense doesn't know who the hell to account for. And they're paying attention to Saquon Barkley. So now we actually have a coaching staff who is really actually maximizing Daniel Jones's athletic ability because the previous one did not. And they may have other reasons not to, but we did not see the creativity from Jason Garrett and the way that this coaching staff is utilizing Daniel Jones's ability to get lateral, utilizing him on RPOs, utilizing him on the zone reads. And with the RPOs too, man, I mean, Daniel Jones, he has the ability to tuck it off those RPOs. Right. But on a lot of these plays, man, everyone's reacting to Saquon Barkley. You go into the mesh point with Saquon Barkley, those linebackers, those read defenders, they always bite up. They always, they always approach the line of scrimmage. And then that glance route and that slant route is open right behind him or that flat route to Wondell Robinson in this game on that. I believe it was the first drive. It's just the Giants understand how to take advantage of man coverage just by using stacks. Get Wondell Robinson, who's a small, like five foot seven wide receiver, get him off the line of scrimmage and give him a free release, and then run the other wide receiver in the stack at his defender to create that natural pick. And then he's open. And then all Daniel Jones has to do is read, read one player. Okay, he's pinching towards the line of scrimmage. That means there's going to be one less defender out there to cover Wondell Robinson. And I know there's going to be a pick on Wondell Robinson's defender. Easy pitch and catch to Wondell Robinson. It's just great scheming. And we've seen it in every single game this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting and think, you're drinking? It's a Tuesday afternoon. I get it. We're stuck in this meeting room. But you can't be drinking beer at work. Oh, it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water brand called Liquid Death. One may wonder or even ask, why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst. And their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. So, like a famous television character whose show shares the name of a star defensive lineman on the Giants with the last name Lawrence, this drink is killing to save. How altruistic.
It tastes good. It's refreshing. Everyone should go and try it. It kind of looks like an energy drink, but it is just water. So please go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. So that's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, you, you're right about that. And it's really, to give this, like, because we can get into the coaching too, because the coaching was once again excellent in this game. I mean... You got to give them credit for the fact that we did not go into this season thinking that a strength of Jones from a trade standpoint was his ability to throw off platform on the run. And they've figured out just from watching their own film of him over the years and not just from watching film, probably just from practice and things of that nature, that they can actually utilize him in that way. And he's actually been better in this season than by far at any point in his career as a thrower on the run. And that's something that is just amazing to me. Because it seemed like we had a lot of film on him through those first three years, and it wasn't something he could do. But now, as you look back on it, now that we've seen a coaching staff figure out how to do that, and that not only can he throw on the run, but you can use him as a weapon as a throw on the run. He's actually looking pretty damn good. This game wasn't the best example of that. There weren't too many of those throws on the run that we've seen from the past weeks. But if you look at the first six weeks of film, you'll see plenty of examples of him throwing the football with good ball placement and good velocity and good touch and good timing on the move. And that's the difference here because you can look at all three years of that film now and just be like, well, you know what? Pat Shermer, look, he developed a really nice system for Jones the rookie. It was right. All all half field stuff, high, low reads. Jones did a good job with it. Sort of. I mean, really it was just three games where he beat up on teams, but it's viewed as a great season, whatever the past two seasons with Garrett, you're like, Oh, can he do it? Can he, why aren't they designing him? They have the one game where they try to run bootlegs with him against Carolina. Right. And you're like, Oh, the offensive line, that's the reason they're doing it. And it wasn't even that effective. They had like a couple of those plays work. A lot of them just didn't work. Now you're having him be super effective. Like you said, on all these runs, on all these throws and runs. Why? Because a lot of these, you put the defender in conflict, right? It's simple stuff to us. Like it seems so simple now watching a coaching staff do it, but it seems so difficult for the other staff. And so, you know, I love the idea that they found something new that he can do as a quarterback and that not only that he can do well or not only can operate, that he can operate at a high level. And I thought in this game, Nick, the coaching staff came out with an unbelievable game plan to attack this style of defense. The Jaguars, like we talked about earlier, had no interest, just zero interest in letting Saquon Barkley beat them. Okay, so what did the Giants do? The Giants have been a very run-heavy team on early downs coming into this game. Well, they decided to be a pass-heavy team. These are stats according to Warren Sharp of Sharp Football. In weeks one through six, the Giants' pass rate 
on early downs was just 56% in week seven. And this is in the first half. So these are the first half stats. The Giants obviously leaned on the run more in the second half when they were able to. And that's kind of their game plan in the second half. They wear them down, then they start to take advantage of the run. This is true even if they run or pass in the first half. But this game in the first half, 56% pass rate on early downs, one weeks one through six. And this game up to 64%. And in weeks one through six, with, with that 56% pass rate, they had just a 6.3 yards per attempt overall. In this game, with the 64% pass rate, 8.1 yards per attempt overall. So it was a clear jump. They clearly just came out here and said, we're just going to play the chess match the way... And this is what I love about this stat. Every week, there's a different chess match, a different game for them to play. There's no set thing. There's no, oh, weeks four through five, we really established the run and started playing one of the run game. So you know what? Let's make sure we do that again this week. Nope. If the defense doesn't allow you to do it, they're not going to force a square peg into a round hole. And Daniel Jones right now is allowing them to do that. The credit is both ways. It's not just the Giants coaching staff that deserves credit for it. It's Daniel Jones as well. Because if you don't have a quarterback who can operate in a pass-heavy attack, you can't do it. You can't change it. You have to just keep running the ball. We've seen this with teams throughout the you know, throughout our lives as football fans. Some teams that just can't pass the football have to continue sticking with the run even when the defense doesn't allow it and they have bad games, right? That's not the case right now for this Giants offense. No matter what you throw at them, they're able to produce some level of offense. And today, it was really consistent. It was over 400 yards. I think it was like 435 total yards of offense. And that was having after having to resort to a pass-heavy approach in the first half. Off of option, too. Remember, they, they were right. read option. The first play of the game was Slayton. Yep. That was a read option. All right, you want to... You want to play Saquon Barkley? We're going to throw Wondell Robinson two plays later. That was a read option. I believe there was another one that was a read option. The only time, Dan, they ran the football on that first drive, they lost four yards to set up the second and 14 touchdown pass to Darius Slayton. And that's not something that has been consistent with the Giants at all this entire season. It really says something about how this team is playing. And like you said, their ability to adapt, their ability to adjust. They're not just a one-trick pony. Like The only modus operandi about this team right now is don't beat yourself. That's the only MO. Don't make stupid mistakes. Don't take dumb penalties. Don't turn the football over. That's the only MO that the Giants have been consistent with this entire season. And then have your defense be opportunistic in the second half. Stick to what works in the second half. If you're down by a couple scores, you could still run the football. And if you're running effectively against the opposing team, continue to do it. Don't worry too much about the clock and then make the defense pay when they try to over pursue the fact that they can't stop Saquon Barkley in the second half because they're tired or whatever it is. But right. the fact that Daniel Jones isn't turning the football over right now and the Giants typically, and I know it didn't really happen on that last Jaguar drive, the Giants typically aren't making dumb mistakes. Like even in this game, I think Jacksonville was penalized 12 times in this game, which is dumb mistakes, false starts. They're at home and they're taking false starts to open drives up and just crazy crazy stuff like that that you don't typically see from a home team credit to the New York Giants big blue faithful for traveling because I, there were a lot of big blue New York Giant fans in in the audience there but if, as long as the Giants can continue to play disciplined football and they don't turn the football over they're going to be well coached enough to be in every single one of these football games and that's what's really exciting it really is and like you said, they're in all these football games because of things like that. Jeff Kerr of CBS Sports said today that he feels like the Giants arguably the most disciplined football team in the NFL, the most well-coached and disciplined football team, specifically in the fourth quarter. And I don't know that I can argue with that right now. If I look around the NFL, I'm not sure there's a more disciplined team from, you know, you can look at some of the penalties the Giants took on that final drive, but one was a phantom call that the announcers couldn't figure out. Another was seemed pretty bogus too on the on the Dexter Lawrence sack fumble. That was very bogus. 
That was very yeah. bogus. The only yeah. one to me that like was warranted was the Adore Jackson one. It seemed like he hooked him a little yeah. bit. I was fine with that. With that fine. call, I was fine with that too. But two, but other than that, I mean, look, the Giants have been a very disciplined team week in and week out. They're winning the penalty battle. They're not turning the football over. These are the two key signs of being, and they're not wasting timeouts. Those are the three key signs of a disciplined football team. They may very well be the most disciplined team in the NFL, which is quite amazing to be completely honest, not only for any first-year coach, but especially for a first-year coach coming into a situation like the one he came into after Joe Judge, right, and after Jason Garrett. And to an extent after, obviously, you know, at this point we're learning Patrick Graham because clearly the Giants have a bigger edge now with Wink Martindale than they do with Patrick Graham. There's a lot of things that that I want to talk about on this, and there's only so much time, Nick. Um, I do want to mention that shout-out Dan Egro, friend of the podcast, one of my good friends, who was at the game today. He has family down in Jacksonville. And I had a couple other people corroborate this. about where The estimation is between about 60 and 64% Giants fans in that stadium. The end of the game, we could obviously hear it. The Giants were incredibly loud on that Jaguars final drive. They started that drive with a five-yard false start penalty. That's how loud it was. And it was either that. It was the it was the second-to-last drive, actually, the one um, after the Giants had scored with the Jaguars. Had like four minutes left. They started that with a false start. At the end of the game, there are a lot of let's go Giants chants. So really cool to hear that the Giants took over there. Shout out Dan Agro for being my boots on the ground there. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Giants offense in the first half. Some other key topics I want to talk about. Then we also have to get to the injuries as well. Those are big topics I want to talk about as well, Nick. But I'm going to start with Wandale Robinson here, Nick, who it appears got banged up in this game. And that's partially in my mind at least part of the reason why the why he wasn't you know as effective and or featured in the in the second half but in the first half i mean six i think it was seven of the first 12 targets for daniel jones were to wandell robinson he had op- finished the game with an 81 percent part- route participation the highest of his career with the giants it was clear they wanted to get him invo- involved early on that end around push pass play he put on the unbelievable juke to create like an extra eight yards after contact and kind of give Giants fans a glimpse of what he can be for Daniel Jones and for this offense. What were your thoughts on Wandell Robinson today? Wandell Robinson showing contact bounce, bouncing off of tacklers. Dude, he's shifty, man. He's shifty. He's very exciting. He's a lightning bolt whenever he has the football in his hands. And you think about the way the Giants are calling their offense. We talk a lot about X receiver, traditional X receiver, and I think having size at the receiver position is always a a, a great asset to have to any offense. But with this offense, it seems like players like Richie James, players like Kadarius Toney, if he could get healthy and get out there, players like Wandale Robinson, those I don't even they don't even necessarily have to be smaller, but those guys who can make people miss in a phone booth, those are the players that can have success in this type of offense where they're moving laterally. They're catching the ball on the run. They're not really catching the ball stationary. You're not asking them to win many 50-50 balls, albeit you would love to have that, like we saw with Darius Slayton winning in on that touchdown pass. But the way the Giants are getting Wandell Robinson, these designed touches, just get the football in his hands and allow and just make people miss, it's working so far. And not, It's early, obviously, but it's working so far. And I think it's going to continue to work because he's fun. And it reminds me of how Kentucky used him, to be real. Right. From the film that we watched when we did study Wondell Robinson coming out of Kentucky, we saw a lot of this on the Kentucky film. That's why Nick brings it up. And it's so cool to see it translate to the actual NFL field. You know, you take that jump in in the level of play, and yet this coaching staff can also figure out a way. And I really think he's going to quickly become Daniel Jones' best friend in the passing game. Daniel Jones needs, needs friends in the passing game. That's pretty obvious this is not 
the most stacked roster at the receiver position, though. Look, we did see some interesting things at receiver today. We saw a lot less of David Sills today than we've seen in a long time. And I got to be honest with you, I don't think that was any kind of any kind of, uh, you know, surprise or I shouldn't say surprise. I don't think that was unexpected. I think it was by design. And quite frankly, despite the fact that Marcus Johnson had the quote unquote drop, which, by the way, I think we'll see on film again, Nick. It's a drop, and he should have caught it, and he could have caught it, but it was also a really well-played well ball by that Jaguars defender because he did not yep. come off that that first receiver at all. He understood where to be, and he understood that he shouldn't come off that receiver and to break on that pass where Johnson back. Now, I want to watch it again to see if he did get his hand in there, and yes, I do think Johnson could have caught that for sure, but I got to be honest, this offense operates a lot better in my mind when David Sills is on the field. And I hate to say it. I'm not really trying to knock Sills. It's just speed kills at receiver in the NFL. You need separation. You need speed on the field for a multitude of reasons. From a schematic standpoint, to me, is the number one reason for spacing um, purposes and for, for both vertical and horizontal spacing purposes. But you're starting to see that trend. And I think that, you know, Wando Robinson is another guy who can add a level of speed to this Giants offense. And so I wanted to point that out. I wanted to point out Mike Kafka again, not just, you know, in the fact that he had this pass heavy approach in the first half that worked before relying on the run, that naked bootleg that he called. I mean, when you see a call like that, I, it was immediately just like rattling off text messages in my group chats. My brother being the first to, to come out with it. You, you know, as a fan, when you watch a call, when it looks that damn good. When Jones ran that naked boot there after that many runs in a row and the entire defense really just focusing in on the running back. I think it was at Breed at the time because Barkley, I think, it was off the field for a couple plays. But I might be wrong. It still might have been Barkley. There wasn't a body in sight. Jones rolled out. And Jones operated an excellent play fake there. I mean, he hid the ball really well. But it doesn't matter if he hit it or not, in my opinion. That defense was committed to stopping the running back on that play. And he just took himself another free first down. And it's just like that situational play calling. Because I think a lot of what makes Mike Kafka and Brian Dable special from an offensive standpoint is their week-to-week game planning and just the overall system that they're running and just general play calling, but it's the situational stuff that to me is what makes him really special as a coach because you have to have such a good feel to be a situational play caller. You're in the heat of the moment. You have a whole play sheet. You don't know what to call, and he just keeps making pulling out these unbelievable situational calls, and I wanted to give him credit specifically for that naked boot call at the end of the game because to me that was just clicks right away in my head. Damn good play call. And that was on a second and eight. Too. And they pulled the backside guard, Josh Azudu, looking like it's going to be a play to the front side with Matt Breida. But it's all a ruse, Dan. It's all a ruse. Daniel yeah. Jones does a good job tucking it away. Tanner Hudson runs that deep seven route. It's the same play that we saw against Chicago that resulted in two Daniel Jones rushing touchdowns. Just go back to that well. And if Jacksonville's going to over pursue, make them pay. And I love that play call. Too. It's so damn simple. It really is. And it's Daniel Jones has only thrown the ball, I think, once. And the Giants have called that play maybe five times. They called it three times against Chicago, maybe one other time. And now they called it this week. And he threw it the one time to Tanner Hudson. But other than that, he's been able to run on the naked boot because everybody is going in one direction. Daniel Jones is way too athletic when you run that play to the field to have defenders who are already pinching to stop the run totally transition their momentum to go after Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is going to outrun them to the sidelines, and he routinely does. He's very, very athletic, and I'm just glad that it's finally being correctly leveraged, yet not in a dangerous manner, because Jones is also, like we brought up a little bit earlier in the podcast, getting down and not putting himself in a position to take dumb hits. Even though a little bit earlier in the season, Dan, there were a couple times where I was yeah. like, oh, bro, get down. Just get the hell down. I haven't seen that, though, in the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, that's improved a lot. Uh, I really since the injury, I feel like that's improved. Maybe yeah. that's something that clicked with him post injury. Like, look, I need to keep my body healthy. I need to be a little bit more careful taking these precautions. I want to talk a little bit before we transition away from the offense here um, to maybe some more things. Yeah, on the I have one question though yep. that I feel like could be its own freaking podcast, and I think there's a lot that goes into it, but it has to do with Daniel Jones. Since we're still talking about the offense, I think it's apt. If Daniel Jones or if the New York Giants hired Brian Dable to be their offensive coordinator with Joe Judge, what would the conversation have been about Daniel Jones at this point? Because remember, Saquon Barkley ends up getting injured. I don't I don't know exactly how all of that would have transpired back in the 2020 season. But Daniel Jones was a second-year quarterback entering a system that was absolutely broken and archaic. And it kind of painted who Daniel Jones was for the last two years. Oh, yeah, you know, he can't do this, he can't do that. But if he was playing this way in his second year. I'm not even sure if that would have been possible because there's so many other factors that go into it, but the entire conversation around this player would be so much different. And I think it's a unique thing to kind of ponder over. It is. And it's also interesting to think about like how different it would have been because I don't know that a lot of this isn't because of the, I want to say culture. I hate the word culture, but just the overall feel that's going down in the Giants locker room because they're winning games early, right? And not just because they're winning games because it's a different atmosphere. It's not the Joe Judge days where since players have mentioned, look, you make one mistake in practice and this guy killed you for it. This guy ripped into you. It was the old school, like bad Patriots coordinator, bad Patriots coaching tree type of way where you could, we had this like, Ooh, we're walking on eggshells. Ooh, can't do anything to piss off Joe judge. Right. This guy's going to rip us. If we do anything, we're going to have to run laps like a high school kid. And so I just don't know if that, like, it just, to me feels like it's a different, it's a little bit more free. These players are allowed to kind of have their own freedom. And so would Brian Dable have full control over his offense under Joe judge? That I'm not sure of. It could be the case. I don't know. But, you know, Judd, at times, Dable, I mean, it's been a very smart offense, but at times he's allowed Jones to do things that could. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Or just not even just Joe Judge. Like, just say if you could just have made that higher in Jones's second year, what Jones's development would have been at this point and how that would have okay, shaped right. our opinion. Let's look at it like that. that. I like that better. Yeah. If it was just Dable and Kafka in year two. Yeah. And yet, and that's that's a great question, man, because if that's the case and if Jones continues to progress like he has this year, you could say that by now, by this fourth year, it would be year three of Brian Dable, who knows how good he could be right now as a quarterback. Um, now, I <laughs> I don't think Joe Jane would have signed Kenny Galladay, especially after he saw the, you know, the the x-ray and not the x-rays if he's if he heard the news about that hip surgery i just don't see him signing holiday post hip surgery i know he Kadarius wants to sign Tony. rudolph i know Kadarius he wants to sign Tony, no. rudolph for sure there's tony i doubt he would have drafted right that's almost almost a guarantee he wouldn't have drafted tony just based on not just the injuries but just like you talked about earlier just kind of understanding the system and being kind of that heady type of ride receiver for what they need for this option route offense but so a lot of the pieces would be different around jones um but the assumption is the pieces will be better, right? Like not getting anything out of Galladay. Tony has been injured a whole season. Um, and Kyle Rudolph was an absolute joke of a disaster of a signing. So they're not getting anything of those guys. So you're right. I mean, look, it could be, and that's going to be the case, by the way, that's made this offseason. If Jones can keep it up, that's the case for giving him big money. Um, if, if that's what it takes to keep him on the roster, the case is, well, this is really only year one in our minds of what he can be. We're really ref 
forming and reshaping his, him as a quarterback. Not only that, in quarterback years, he's still incredibly young. So that's the other key thing here. This is not a running back where the shelf life is like 26 and they really fall off at 20, starting at 27 or receiver where it starts to get bad into the thirties, whatever corner where you need to rely on your speed and all those types of athletic traits. Quarterbacks can play for a damn long time. I mean, now we're starting to see the final years of this Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers situation and Tom Brady looked worse than I've seen him at any point in his career. It might, the wheels might be falling off fast there, but look, he's 45 years old, right? Like, so this shelf life here is very Daniel, different for quarterbacks. He is but, 20 years older than Daniel Jones. Think right, about that. For a second. And so, so yeah, so it's a great question, Nick, and it's something we'll consider as we move forward, obviously, and we consider and ponder the future of Daniel Jones. If he continues to play like this, he, he deserves to have a future here in New York, in my opinion. And I think Brian Dable and Joe Shane will agree with that too. Now, the question becomes how much do you want to commit to that and how much guaranteed money with all the deals that are going on with Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson kind of holding out to get a deal like a Russell Wilson type deal and how that really impacts the rest of the market. I don't know. That's something for another day, but it's a great question. And speaking of that, as long as we're pondering those types of questions, Nick, at this point, man, as I look through the NFL and I track it every week, look, my job is to cover fantasy football for CBS sports. And I don't miss a single NFL game all week. I'm reading about it. I'm watching film. I'm watching people's breakdowns. We're getting to the point here, dude, with the six and one giants where we have to seriously start to consider if they're legitimate contenders to win the NFC. And I don't think it's far fetched to say that they are at this point. Combination of things that work in their favor here. One, they're getting better under this head coach. Two, they haven't been fully healthy at any point this year. And they have the, still have the opportunity. Remember, a big part of the reason the 2011 Giants won the Super Bowl is they got healthy at the right times. Their defensive line got really healthy for that playoff run. And that was a major factor. And they that's the right time. not either. No, it's not enough. Yeah. Time is like one of the key factors in the NFL for going on playoff runs. They still have the opportunity to grow within the system, specifically Daniel Jones as the quarterback position, the leader of that offense. And in addition to all of that, the NFC doesn't really have any teams that scare me right now outside of the Philadelphia Eagles and a couple other teams that we're going to get to see pretty soon. The Seattle Seahawks this week, a huge barometer for where the Giants are at, because face it, the Seattle Seahawks are a good football team right now. They weren't expected to be going in. Now there were the Giants, but Geno Smith is balling out. That offense is really difficult to stop, and the Giants are going to have a ton of trouble stopping that offense. And unfortunately for the Giants, that's a better offense with Kenneth Walker than it was with Rashad Penny. That's quite clear and obvious when you watch Walker, who's an absolute stud out there at the running back position. They are a more dynamic, different to stop, difficult to stop. Now, Giants might catch a break here if DK Metcalf has to miss a week or two with this injury. We don't know yet the extent. He he, he uh, was carted off and didn't return, but so far the x-rays said it was good, but that typically seems like it should be a longer injury. We'll see. And they'll get to face the Vikings, too, who I believe are 5-1 and one in another team. But outside the Eagles right now and the Cowboys, if and only if Dak Prescott can get back into a groove, which he should be able to, to be completely honest. I don't know, man. I feel like the Giants can contend with any of these other teams, which is crazy to think about. The Giants very well may be one of the absolute contenders to win the NFC this year, as soon as this year. I know. And, and show me how that can't be true. People will point to, oh, this is a lucky win. Blah, blah, blah. It's not just a lucky win. Yeah. Randy Bullock missing a 47-yard field goal. Some may point the luck, but the Giants put themselves in that position to, to have Randy Bullock miss that field goal. And you could say that about all these games. The Giants don't go away, man. The Giants are down three, three quality teams. I wouldn't say Green Bay is quality, but Tennessee, Baltimore, Green Bay. The Giants are down by multiple scores in the second half. 
any other New York Giants team would have folded then in recent memory. This New York Giants team don't, but I even think we're past that conversation. And I right. see a lot of people talking about this on the timeline. This isn't just a feel-good story anymore. The New York Giants are they're legit contenders in the NFC. Now, some of that might be a product of the fact that the NFC, like you said, isn't all that strong right now. Yes, but still, this team is sitting at six and one. It's just their division. That's what I'm most scared about. And division games, right. they can be they can be unique in the sense that sometimes, you know, a worse team ends up beating the better team. And I'm not saying the Giants are clear cut a worse team, although I do believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are a better team than the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys are right now. Doesn't mean that the Giants are going to lose all those games. All you gotta do is win one game. And with this coaching staff and the Giants not turning the football over, an opportunistic defense, I think the Giants can beat the Eagles. And I think they can beat the Cowboys in a one game type of situation. That's all you need to advance in the playoffs. And the Giants are going to be able to play three more games against those two teams. So it's going to be exciting, but it's, it's a conversation that not even you or I thought was going to happen. And we actually had the Giants winning more games than a lot of other people who cover the Giants, at least before all the injuries in the preseason. But if you would have told us then, oh yeah, the Giants are going to be six and one, and they're going to be possible contenders to win the NFC, we would have been like, you are high on marijuana. But they're not because they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy, man. I feel like the Eagles, I think, are clearly a better team than the Giants. I want to start by saying that. So I'll start by just establishing that. The Eagles have an elite offensive line, an elite defense right now, two elite corners. Jalen Hurts is playing great football, two elite receivers. Okay, that team, I can say, I'm really scared to face. And I'm not so sure the Giants are going to have a good chance against those in their match against the Eagles. But the Cowboys, man. I know it was a Cooper rush, but I was at that game. A few breaks didn't go their way. The Giants, they missed a field goal. They had a, a few other things that didn't go their way. Yeah, they had the dropped bomb to CeeDee Lamb from Rush. That probably should have been a big play and did, and did go the Giants' way. But I think the Giants can beat that Cowboys team. So now you look at these other contenders. The Bucks, to me, are just not going to get it together. I, maybe I should I should uh, rein that back in because I counting out Tom Brady is about the stupidest thing you could possibly do over yeah, and time. Yeah, you saw and you also saw that Tom Brady put a dime on Mike Evans that would have went for like a 60-yard touchdown, and Mike Evans like hot-potatoed it right, up in right. the air. Game might have been different because that was on the yeah. first drive too, but even so, you had an entire game to, to get it right against the objectively worst team in the NFL, and you didn't. Right, and after that point, Tom Brady was really not throwing the ball well. That was the worst I've seen him throw the football I can remember. The Packers, we both agreed, aren't that good of a football team right now. Maybe they'll get it together. I don't know. They probably, you know, it's you debate if you should make the trade for your future when it comes to Devontae Adams. You don't want to resign him and put yourself in a bad cap spot when he's older. But you had a small window with Rodgers, so I'm not so sure that was the right decision. The West, to me, the Giants could be any of those teams in the West. The Rams, to me, are not going to get it together with that offensive line. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not going to get together to the point where they're going to be a guaranteed win over the Giants. The 49ers, I'm never going to consider a Jimmy Garoppolo team to be a guaranteed win over the Giants. I just Look, the guy stinks, in my opinion. I know he has decent stats, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He has the best situation ever, and he, and he throws interceptions like the one he threw today, which is That's just bad. unbelievable. And Jeff Wilson's open on the arrow, on the inside Texas route, and just not not even processing that. Um, so he's a one, as the announcer said today, whoever's calling that game, I thought it was great. He's like, he, he threw a nice ball or there was a completed play to Brandon Ayuk. And he's like, yeah, if Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is a great one read quarterback. That's essentially what he is. He's a one read quarterback in my mind. And so I'm not going to include them in the, the, the Cardinals are, you saw them. I mean, they had an okay win, I guess on Thursday night, but Cliff Kingsbury doesn't scare me at all. Um, and then you move on to the Seahawks, a team that we mentioned and the Vikings who are, I think are kind of, 
both teams that are in the Giants position, right? Like, I don't think either of those teams are definitely better than the Giants. So at this point, I don't really feel like any team but the Eagles are definitely better than the Giants in the NFC. And that's an absolutely insane point to be at in week seven of this first year of the rebuild. The thing that sucks about the situation, though, and I know the Giants have only had one loss, so the division is still within their sights. But I agree with you. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are a better football team than the Giants. Giants are going to be a wild card team, which means they have to go on the road and play, which means they won't have the right. home field advantage, which will ultimately work against them. Now, can they overcome that? Sure, they can overcome that. But it's definitely something that's working against them because, as we've talked about on the podcast, Dan, seems like MetLife for the first time in a long time is starting to become a home field advantage type of right. atmosphere. Good point. Really good point. But I will say this, I'm not ready though. I do think the Eagles are a better team on paper than the giants. I'm not fully ready just yet to rule out the possibility of the giants who are only one game behind the Eagles as it stands today. Yeah, Of course, you know, of course. Right. Injuries. Not, there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. The giants could still beat the Eagles in those games. Football's a crazy sport, man. Just because they're better on paper doesn't mean they're a lock to beat the Giants in these games. So Giants still have an opportunity right now. They're only one game behind there. Um, and I want to transition to the injuries in a second, but I do want to first talk about giving some credit here to the job that Bobby Johnson has done as an offensive line coach. Look, it's really easy for us as fans to get on board with new offensive line coaches. There's a lot of fluff pieces that come out. You can be like, oh, look at this, what this guy did in the past. We did it with Rob Sale. We did it with Mark Colombo, whatever. But Bobby Johnson, I mean, this is just a steady drumbeat that continues for him. Evan Neal has improved under Bobby Johnson as a rookie. Ben Bredesen has taken the biggest steps of his career under Bobby Johnson. He's had massive injuries to deal with. He's had to shift different guys to center. He's had to deal this game with Evan Neal going down and his left guard going down in the same game. And yet you just see an offensive line that continues to produce, that continues to get better as the game goes on. And really, I didn't feel like pass protection, which is shocking, even after those injuries, was much of an issue today as well. So I just wanted to point out that we may have finally got this thing right on Bobby Johnson as far as offensive line coaches go. Definitely a step in the right direction over the how hunters of the world. I'll, I'll say that much. And I have a lot of respect for a lot of these positional coaches, man. I really think Bobby Johnson is is going to be a name that we might be hearing about if the Giants' offensive line, these younger players, continue to ascend. Like you hear Jeff Stoutland and players like that, obviously Bobby or coaches like that. Obviously, Bobby Johnson isn't quite there yet, but that's the goal to get that kind of reverence from around the league. And Bobby Johnson is really doing a wonderful job right now with the New York Giants. And then you have Andre Patterson and what he's doing with Dexter Lawrence, right. Leonard Williams and the defensive line, you know, Drew Wilkins, the outside linebacker coach. You have obviously the goat in the back with uh, Jerome Henderson, man. He's, he's, I'm so glad the New York Giants retained him because he was on the previous staff and he seems to really get the most out of all of his players. He did with James Bradbury. He did with Jabril Peppers. And now he's doing the same thing with a Dory Jackson right here. Who's, I mean, Dan, is it, hyperbole to say that Adoree Jackson is is playing like a like a top 10 top 50 he's like a, playing like a top 10 quarterback right now now he's not coming away with those interceptions but he's always in phase he's always in coverage and that play that he had on Evan Ingram on the third and five his momentum was going inside and he was able to just stop on a dime and work right, right back inside of the whip route get his hand on Evan Ingram's hip and then work his front hand through the catch point like that is excellent technique right there and requires so much body control to do that and i feel like a dory jackson comes up with a play like that every single week and he might not be the name that you associate with some of the top corners in the league and i don't think he's quite on patrick certain's level but he's freaking good man and i and i'm really excited about the growth that he has seen under henderson's tutelage 
Yeah, I think it's a great point. Look, he went out for a few snaps. Thankfully, he came back in. We're going to talk in a second about the injuries, but it just, you can see it. It's so obvious with him. It's so obvious watching players like this that fit like a glove in coverage and are just always seem to be sticking to the receivers. And that's kind of like a Dory Jackson. And I love how you bring up the technique stuff there of Dory Jackson because you know that's partially because he was coached that way on the back end by the Giants coaches. And this is a player who had all the talent in Tennessee, but quite frankly, didn't put it all together. He would have never been released and able to hit free agency if he was playing at this level with the Titans. He's reached a new level with the Giants coaching staff. And we're seeing that with a lot of these players. And we're going to continue to see that moving forward with a lot of these players because the Giants right now have a really good coaching staff in place. And it's making one of the key differences. It's one of the key differences in why they're a winning football team now, winning six of, of, of you know their first seven games. So I did want to point that out for sure. Let's talk now about the injury situation for the Giants. I'm going to start with Daniel Bellinger, the starting tight end, who had a nasty kind of like punch eye poke. He doesn't wait. Bellinger is not a visor player. So without wearing the visor, it went through. His eye looked pretty terrible. I did get a shout out, Nick, uh, right after the game from Frank Bellinger, friend of the show, who now I talk to on a weekly basis, sometimes more. So shout out Frank, who did listen to our last week's reaction pod. Maybe you'll listen to this. Uh, he just wanted to reach out, sent me a, a clip of the play, which, by the way, this is one of the just all-time most wholesome dad moments from Frank Bellinger. I shared this with my family, and they loved it, too. I mean, they just love the fact that I'm talking to Frank Bellinger, but they love the fact that he's like, here's the play. He sent me a clip of the play. He's like, can can the NFL do anything about Can the Giants do anything about sending to the NFL about this being a dirty play? And I'm like, you know what? Let's see, Frank. I'll pass this along to my people. Let's see what we can get done about this. Because it wasn't dirty. I don't, I don't know if it's considered a dirty play in the NFL. But, I mean, look, his, eye, his hand went right through that face mask, and, and Daniel Bellinger's eye looked pretty bad after. I think both Frank, Frank Bellinger himself and the Giants, I think it was maybe Tom Brock, have since confirmed that, Bellinger's vision is fine. So that's a really good sign. Daniel Bellinger's vision is fine, but he is getting surgery. So no one knows any kind of time level, timetable, I should say, for Daniel Bellinger right now. But that's the first injury. Bellinger was ruled out. Then just to add to that, Nick, and we can recap them all if you want, we should. Evan Neal left with a knee injury. Now, initial reports say that he has an MCL injury, sprained MCL. That's the same injury that kept Thibodeau out for over a month. But... After the game, Evan Neal himself said he was fine. So who knows what the situation is there? Fine and MCL are different. I would expect that Neal, especially given the way the Giants have been pretty conservative with injuries all season long, will be out for the four weeks. We'll see what happens there. And then the last of the injuries was Ben Bredesen, who suffered an injury that was bad enough that he was immediately ruled out. Yeah, that sucks to hear about Bredesen. One thing on Evan Neal, though, before I get to some of this other stuff, does he not have one of the coolest voices on the New York Giants? Yeah, it is an interesting deep voice. I don't know where Evan Neal's from exactly. Was he from? I don't think he's, he's from Florida. From he went to IMG he's Academy. From, yeah, he's oh, he went Florida. to IMG. Okay, yeah, he yeah. did go to Okay, Bradenton, yeah, Florida. He does have like a southern, deep southern voice. Yeah, he. I love his interviews just because it's so smooth. But yeah. in terms of both Evan Neal and Daniel Bellinger, and I know we brought this up earlier, but it's it says something about this team and the next man up mentality that Evan Neal is, a, he's a good run blocker right now. He has his issues, right? But if he gets a hold of you, you're gone and he can clear a path. And Bellinger, man, Bellinger for a rookie tight end is, he's, a, he's a, like an elite blocker right now for a rookie tight end. And that right. should only develop better in terms of 
him relative to Chris Myrick, who I do think is a good, I would say a good tight end blocker, I think you could say. Tanner Hudson, not so much. The fact that both of those guys weren't there and the Giants were still able to run the ball as effectively as they did in the second half says something about this team. But I really hope Daniel Bellinger can just get healthy because that looked bad and that had to be some sort of penalty. You can't just poke a guy's eye out. I don't know if that would right. constitute a face mask, even though you weren't grabbing the face mask, but the guy's eye was swollen shut. I felt terrible for the kid. Yeah, and so I think the good news at least is that his vision is still fine. That's what you were first fearing when it comes to Daniel. So yeah. get well soon, Daniel. And if Frank, if you're listening out, we're, we're all obviously pulling for your son, hoping he gets back on the field pretty fast or, you know, really at his own pace whenever whenever it's good for him to kind of get through this. And the Giants obviously need him back on the field. Look, you said it best. They don't really have tight end depth behind Daniel Bellinger, no. especially not at that level. And like I said last week, Daniel played his highest, you know, he really – ascended into a different role last week and it was trending in that same direction this week that really full route participation type of role a lot more targets so we're starting to see him all trend in that right direction so hopefully both Daniel and Evan Neal and Ben Bredesen can get back on the field fast because these injuries continue to pile up for the Giants at just an insane rate this season it seems like they can't make it through a game without I mean last week they did actually make it through a game without a major injury so one week, whoop-de-doo. But, I mean, the Giants have just been snake bit by injuries this season. You can't even blame it on the MetLife turf when, you know, you go down to Jacksonville and you get three major injuries in one game to three starters all on the same side of the ball. But that's kind of the updates right now on the injuries. Nothing too much more on that as of now. We'll probably discuss that more tomorrow, uh, you know, as an, and maybe a prelude to the All-22 film review on the offense side of the ball, which, by the way, is coming tomorrow. For those who don't know, maybe new to the podcast, we will be doing an all 22 offensive film breakdown on Monday. You can catch it on the podcast and on the YouTube page where you can literally watch along with me and Nick, Nick and I, as we break down the Giants film. So you'll get to see the all 22 coaches film. You ever want to see the film Yeah, You know, that angle from this end zone or from the sideline overhead view where you can see the whole safeties, the whole chest mask as it unfolds. You'll get to watch it with Nick and I, as we break it down, we'll do that for the defense as well. That comes on Tuesday, but Outside the injury front, Nick, a few other things I want to touch on. You talked about the next man up mentality for the Giants that they've had. And, you know, that's a testament to the players, testament to the coaching. Fabian Moreau is a player that's really interesting right now because Fabian Moreau is playing what's easily, at least on film and by the numbers, because the advanced numbers actually show really well for him. His uh, yards per snap is, is really good. Yards allowed per snap. He's playing the best football of his entire career with this coaching staff and with the Giants and with this new fit in the Wink Martindale system. So any thoughts on kind of that next man up mentality as it, as it pertains to Rowe or anyone else on the Giants right now? I think it has to do with coaching too. Yeah. I mean, I think Jerome Henderson, I think Wink Martindale, I think the coaches are really getting the most out of these players. And they're also bringing in the right guys to execute the assignments that they ask. They don't seem like the coaching staff that really wants to fit square pegs into round holes like you see around the NFL. And the roster isn't all that great, but I really think this pro scouting department does such an excellent job really diving into who this player is, what their capabilities are on and off the field, and if they can handle what this team is going to ask from them. And they bring guys like Fabian Moreau in. They bring guys like Jalen Smith in. They bring guys like Nick Williams in right before the season starts. And these guys are executing their assignments, I would say, at a relatively high level. These are replacement-level players, guys who are on the scrap heap. And they come here, and they're getting maximized by this coaching staff. What is that going to say to other free agents who have a choice? If they, can I go play with Wink Martindale, or can I go to this spot? Well, maybe right. I want to go play here because I can get a role here. And it seems like a lot of other free agents who are in the same position that I was in 
ended up getting bigger contracts because they played really well. This coaching staff knows what they're doing. Players are going to want to come and play for the Giants because of that. So I really uh, love what the New York Giants are doing with a lot of these veterans and how they're getting the most out of them right now. Yeah, you're right. And that's part of the reason why they're able to do things like a third and one and a fourth and one stop on back-to-back plays. Every week, it seems like they come up with these key stops and key situations or big plays that really swing the difference of the game. Um, And we're seeing that over and over. So we'll wrap it up here, Nick, because we have a lot to talk about this week, uh, a lot more to come. But as far as quick reaction, I'll wrap it up with a couple stats and then a quote. You can jump in if you want. The Giants are now, let's see this one, have started six and one or better while allowing fewer than 25 points in each of their first seven games for just the fifth time in history. Two of the other times they've done this, Nick, 89 and 90, two of the more memorable seasons in their uh, franchise history. I know only one led to a Super Bowl, but still very memorable. This was the fifth game-winning drive for Daniel Jones. That's good for number one in the NFL among all quarterbacks. Also, in addition to those fun stats, the Giants are now the first team in NFL history to start 6-1 and one or better and have each of their first seven games decided by just one possession. So really <laughs> tight games for these fans, for us as fans. I mean, look, it's been nail-biting every single week. Intense, as fun as it gets. And so we'll end it with this, Nick, with a quote. Also end it with this, though, before we get yeah. to the quote. How sure. many of those teams that have started 6-1 and one are technically third in their division? Yeah, how crazy is that? Right. 6-1 and one in third in the division. And like I said, it's like it's not just that they're cleaning up at the end of these games and they're making these comebacks. They're making huge plays at the end of these games. The last four Jaguars possessions were punt, turnover on downs with a fourth down stop, a punt, and then a stop at the one-yard line where, again, the Giants made an excellent play rallying to the football. And so with that said, this Giants team, despite being 6-1, and one, like I mentioned earlier, are now 5-0 and oh as underdogs. Five of these games, despite them being a 6-1 and one team, the Giants were underdogs. So on the perceived lack of respect for the 6-1 and one Giants team, Nick, I'll leave you with the Kayvon Thibodeau quote to end this bad boy off. He says, I don't care what people around the league do. F them. Only people that matter to me are the people in this locker room. You know what? That's an excellent quote. It's an excellent approach, and that's a big reason why the Giants have been able to get off the 6-1 and start. So very exciting times right now for us as Giants fan, and more exciting for us, even Nick and I, as people who are commentating on the Giants. This is a whole lot more fun when they're good. And so keep it locked and loaded here on the Big Blue Banter podcast. We've got a lot more coming this week. And I'll mention this. A lot of people were asking about the preview podcast this week for the Jaguars. We actually had two separate guests lined up, but it just didn't align. Both guests had to back out last minute. And then when we tried to reschedule, I was traveling Thursday. Nick was traveling Friday. So it just didn't end up working out. We'll remedy that, though. We're going to go searching starting tomorrow for someone we can line up for this week for the Seattle Seahawks game, a big game. We'll take a look into that. I have a couple ideas in mind. I'm going to swing big to start. I have somebody I really like who breaks down film on that Seahawks team that I'm going to swing big for to start so you can get them. Um, And if we can, we'll give you that. But we'll give someone for sure to preview. Two more podcasts, breaking down the offensive defensive film. We're going to do another mailbag because those are fun to do. A lot of important. important. And we're going to do something else this week because there's a lot to talk about. So keep it locked and loaded here on the Big Blue Bandit Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. 
a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.